This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Glad to be with you this morning. Oh, the joys of parenthood. There's a lot of excitement, novelty, and preparation before a baby's born. But what happens when you bring that baby home? Parents often fade into the background as all eyes and all attention go to the child. And that can also mean mom's health and well-being that sits on the sidelines. A new WBEZ series called The First 12 Weeks brings the stories of three new Chicago-area moms to the forefront. It takes you inside their homes and lives to better understand the support that some families need. And the series uncovers the realities, for some, of being a new parent. The sleepless nights, the loneliness, the feelings of judgment, even. So with us now to discuss the project is WBEZ contributor Ellie Fishman. Welcome back to the program, Ellie. Good to see you. Hi, thanks for having me. So tell us why you started the project. I mean, did you get inspiration from your own life? Because I hear you've got an 18-month-old at I this do, point. yes. Wow. So this project was interesting for me because a lot of the time with my work, I start at a policy level, kind of look at what's happening in the world and find a human lens to understand changes in policy and politics and our culture. But this story really started at the personal level. Like you said, I have an 18-month-old, and this idea first came to me when I was in my first 12 weeks of parenthood, which was a time that I found really amazing and overwhelming and surprisingly challenging. Why do you say surprisingly? I just felt really ill-prepared. And the more I shared that with friends and colleagues, I heard that over and over again. And then I started seeing it all over social media and Twitter. New moms just saying, how come nobody told me it was going to be like this? (laughs) I mean, you you read the the what to expect when you're expecting books and and all those, and and then nothing tells you about Afterwards, exactly. when the baby's here. Yeah, you yeah. spend nine months or in that ballpark, you know, going to the doctor, having your blood pressure checked, having conversations, preparing your nursery. And then a lot of times you leave the hospital with nothing more than a phone number. Yeah. And then you're on your own. So what message do you think that the series is sending? What's the goal here? I hope it creates more understanding and empathy for the experience. I hope for new moms and new parents, they feel seen and heard and like they're less alone by reading these stories. And I just hope it creates some visibility for what this experience is like. The first 12 weeks project, it follows three new mothers throughout their uh, postpartum journeys. Now you start with Crystal in West Inglewood. Tell us about her. What's she like? Crystal is so delightful. That is the, the perfect word for her. She is ebullient. She's chatty. She's a really lovely person. She uh, is married to a Mexican-American man, Ismael, and she herself is from Belize. So she's in a cross-cultural household. Mm, She also lives below her in-laws. And for Crystal, who herself is an OB nurse, New Parenthood created a whole series of challenges that even she herself wasn't expecting. Why do you want Crystal to be the, the first, her story? Does it set the tone maybe for the rest of the series? I felt like Crystal's experience both as a nurse, as a black woman living in Chicago and in America, as a woman living in a multi-generational, multicultural household, there were so many topics that intersected her story that it felt like a good place to start. Yeah. Well, the, the mothers also kept audio diaries for this series. So in one of the entries, Crystal talks about how sometimes she feels like people think uh, she should know about all of these things when it comes to raising a baby because of her profession. Let's listen. Just because I work as a nurse or just because I work in OB or just because I take care of very newborn babies just for the first three days of their lives doesn't mean that I know everything even. 
Yeah, so sounds, I still learn things every single day. Yeah, sounds like a classic case of, you know, other people's expectations and, and of what she should know. Yeah, I think she got a lot of that from all angles. And that was, Crystal is a self-identified people pleaser. <laughs> and that was really hard because you get a lot of unsolicited advice in those early days. Yeah. Well, this is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. If you are just tuning in, we are talking about the common yet not fully understood experience of being a new parent in the U.S. It's a time in people's lives that's both joyous and overwhelming. And often stories of new parents are overlooked, especially when it comes to the lack of resources or support that they receive. Now, there's a new WBEZ series. It's called The First 12 Weeks, and it aims to tell those stories. Our guest is journalist and author of The First 12 Weeks, Ellie Fishman. I want to bring another voice into the conversation. Joining us here in studio is Carrie Stewart. She's a certified nurse midwife in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at UI Health. And she's also Crystal's midwife, uh, the new mom that we were just talking about who's living in West Englewood and featured in this series. Thanks for joining us, Carrie. Thank you for having me. So once Crystal found out that she was pregnant, she knew that she wanted a midwife who had experience working with with folks in, in the black community. We know, Carrie, Black Americans are the most impacted group when it comes to risks and just outcomes, poor outcomes when it comes to prenatal and and maternal care. But we're going to dig deeper into that. Before that, though, I want you to just share a bit about your practice, the work that you do with expectant moms and and families. Yeah, so I'm currently um, one of the midwives that provides care to patients in the Southside area. Our clinic is the uh, Mile Square Clinic in the Auburn Grisham. We just opened those facility doors in October of last year. Okay. So the community is excited that we are there to provide them not only, you know, immediate care, pediatric care, but we're there to service the moms for their prenatal and reproductive care as well. Yeah. Well, talk about the barriers that exist for, for black mothers and families when it comes to accessing care, because the issues don't just go away because they have access, yes. right? Yes, yes. And access is just a small point, right. you know. Um, there there was not very many um, clinics in that area. We've lost a couple of OB um, gynae clinics. We've lost several labor and delivery units. And so uh, patients can't just pick up and move and go and live where those facilities are. So um, access has been an issue Food insecurity has been an issue, and safety has been an issue. And Mm. so, you know, you have parents concerned about growing in their family. And we just kind of walk them through on how they can navigate not only the healthcare system, but their, you know, care. Mm, Okay. So uh, does the way you go about care change when you're a midwife for non-black mothers? No, not in my eyes. I do the same thing. Um, You know, we... Black women don't have the the same resources, and we try to connect them. Um, Individuals who don't necessarily identify as black may have a little bit more access. But being motherhood is difficult, and trying to navigate, and I'm sure as Crystal thought, um, you know, everybody has those expectations of what she should know. And she had a different perspective because she's a nurse. So she knows what happens when they come in the door. Mm -hmm. And so that makes it a little bit um, more stressful in her eyes. Um, But letting her know that, you know, we can support her. These are the resources. This is what you need. Um, And I tend to approach all individuals in the same way. You know, when we talk about natal care, we we sometimes hear the terms midwife and doula used together. Help us out. Explain what the difference is. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the midwife catches the baby. The doula supports the mom and baby. 
Um, they can also support the mom prior to baby getting there. And that's so important because what we have learned through research this uh, and just parents' experience, specifically black moms, um, they don't have a lot of support after baby comes. And so it's it's nice to have a relationship with their doula and their support person prior to baby, but even after, you know, just navigating those first 12 weeks. It's hard. And to have someone to lean on and to ask questions or is this normal? Is this not normal? Or should I head to the hospital? Should I not head to the hospital? Yeah. That's it's it's nice to have someone to bounce those questions off of. For sure. You mentioned earlier, Ellie, that on top of navigating this brand new chapter in her life, Crystal's also experiencing these cross cultural challenges, right? Being from Belize, her husband's family is Mexican. They live what upstairs? Yeah. Very close. <laughs> What was the most difficult, you think, for her to overcome? So in Mexican culture, there's a time called La Cuarentena. Pardon my accent. (laughs) Um, Sounds like quarantine. Yes. So that translates to quarantine. And essentially what that is, is in the first 40 days postpartum, the new mom is supposed to stay home, heal, literally stay in bed. I mean, Crystal told me stories about how she would get side eyes from her in-laws when she lifted a pitcher of water even and crystal's a very active independent person and that was very very difficult for her i think in a way that she didn't anticipate mm. did crystal express some oh, of those yeah. struggles to you <laughs> she did you know i i, I try to uh, remain a, a very in close contact with my moms as much as i and i know many midwives don't do that but i do that on purpose um and there's there's a lot that can happen in those first you know two to three weeks and so she texted me and was like, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> what do I do? What do I do? Is this normal? You know, how do I navigate? And I, I even saw her a couple of weeks after. And, and you know, and I asked her, I said, how are you truly doing? Um, you know, and we just, again, assume that because she's a nurse, she's got it. And we can't do that. Um, and as she said, she's a people pleaser. She's like, yeah, I got this. I'm like, maybe you don't. And it's okay you don't. You know, let's talk through it. Um, so yeah, we talked to some of those things and, and she was surprised on what she thought she may have known, but you know, we worked through that and figured out this is what you can do. But to that end, the, the biggest lesson here for Crystal, it seems was finding herself yes. after having her daughter, right? So how can mothers learn to, to trust themselves? You know, you really have to, you know, Uh, step out of yourself Mm -hmm. and you know not only accept the help but also know that it's not a quick thing and you're getting help from all over the place right you're getting input from family you're getting input from doctors you're googling yes and so you you almost are like what's right what's not right you know and so kind of navigating that system which is why I try to stay as close as possible with them to let them know like it's normal to kind of have all these questions and unanswered issues or concerns, but this is how we navigate it. Everybody's journey is different. Yeah. I mentioned Google and I looked right at you, Ellie, because I I know you had some of those internet struggles too over the past year, I'm sure. Oh yeah. My Google is a dark, dark place. (laughs) (laughs) Up late at night as a a new mom trying to figure out what's wrong. Yes. I banned 4 a.m. Googling because I would wake (laughs) up First of all, I would or- have ordered things that I didn't remember ordering, you know, something for safe, safe sleeping. or, And it, it, I don't think it did anybody any good. Myself, my daughter, my husband. So yeah. I, I, daytime hours, sunlight hours are when I Google now. Yeah. I mean, the Internet, it, it takes a toll on new moms. And Crystal, she says social media played a, a big role for her. 
right? Yeah. Well, one of the things I thought that was really interesting about Crystal is, you know, a lot of the times you hear how social media can have a negative effect. And I certainly experienced that, you know, this idea of the bounce back and this, you know, the snapback, the snapback. Yeah. And the, these perfect images of serene babies and moms with their luscious hair. And that can be so toxic. And you hold yourself to that standard without even realizing it. But the other side of the internet is that it can also be a place of community. And for Crystal, it was actually a place where she found relief, where she found other people going through similar experiences and where she could sort of learn to trust herself in a way that felt harder in the kind of chorus of voices in her house and in in her life. I love that. You know, and as we talked about, Ellie, that the project really, it's putting the experiences of these new moms out there for everyone to see, right? And for conversations to begin and for people to learn from. Why do you think that that's important? Well, I think so many people on this planet have gone through this experience, and yet it remains this mysterious black box in healthcare, in your kind of emotional journey, in parenthood, and just in every kind of walk of life. And I think giving people a platform to share their stories, yeah. to hear other people's stories, have a conversation is really powerful. Yeah. You know, uh, Carrie, we often see parents fade into the background. Yeah. Once the baby's here, nobody cares about you anymore. Exactly. <laughs> I experienced exactly. this twice. Yes. I know, right? Yeah. It's all about you and, you know, the baby shower and you've got the belly. Why does this happen? And, and, and talk about how it impacts that new parent. You know, every, everything's so exciting about a new life. And so we have, you know, realized that um, a lot of attention has been put on this new life, on the baby. You want to see the baby. What's the baby's name? What's the baby's sex? How, you know, right. all those things, right? But w- what we aren't understanding is that mom went through a lot carrying that baby almost 10 months. And so we have to really centralize that mom and love on that mom and allow that mom to go through the journey of those first 12 weeks and, and be supportive mm-hmm. um, because it's, it's as if they don't exist. And and that's not true. They're important because of when all the hoopla is over and everybody's done Google and Gaga and over the baby, mom is still there with baby. Absolutely. Absolutely. I am so glad that Crystal was able to, to find a black midwife as uh, requested during her pregnancy. Where else can expectant mothers go if they want to connect with a black midwife or a black doula in this area? You know, it, and that's when that Google search is pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we have we have definitely here in Chicago made ourselves visible and I continue to do this. I'm, you know, grateful for the networking opportunities that I've, I've had mm-hmm. with not only myself, but my colleagues. And so. You know, because that we know that this is a high demand, we have definitely been visible. So the University of Illinois Health Center, we have six black midwives. Okay. Um, and that's the largest right now in the Midwest that work together that's that impressive. I'm aware of. Yes. I've um, never seen anything like it. Yes. Yes. And so, you know, we're working hard to make sure that individuals have options. But there are also other black midwives that work in other areas within the community, Northwest Indiana, as well as um, Southern Illinois and um, in other surrounding states, Ohio and Missouri. So, you know, we have a connection here um, that we can definitely refer individuals to what their needs are. Carrie Stewart's a certified nurse midwife in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at UI Health. Thank you so much for your time, Carrie. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. 
This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Here's a fact for you. Women in the U.S. are more likely to die from pregnancy or childbirth-related issues compared to other developing countries in the world. And maybe you've heard this before, but most maternal deaths are preventable. So what's the issue? One big factor is that we just don't have enough maternal care providers, and comprehensive postpartum care is lacking. I mean, think about your own circles for a minute. How many mothers do you know who had to take unpaid maternity leave or return to work just a few months after giving birth? Probably quite a few. Reporter and author of Refugee High, Coming of Age in America, Ellie Fishman, is still with us in the studio. We're talking about her new WBEZ series that focuses on new parents, and it's called The First 12 Weeks. We are joined now by Annie Conquest, who's a certified nurse midwife at Erie Family Health Centers. Welcome, Annie. Thank you for having me. Good to see you. Uh, Ellie... I want to talk about uh, the next woman that you wrote about in this series. This is a mother named Acel. Mm-hmm. Tell us about her. Acel is a new immigrant to America. She's from Kyrgyzstan, and she arrived here in April 2022 and almost immediately got pregnant. So not only is she new to this country, new to this culture, but she's new to motherhood. So she has a lot to navigate I can imagine. It's a good time to talk about her story, too, because right now we are seeing more migrants enter Chicago who might be going through similar experiences, right? Yes, I think there are a lot, and I know Annie can speak to that, too. Yeah, raising a child, Annie, it's it's hard enough, but imagine trying to do that in a place where you're just not familiar. You're brand new. The, the culture, the language, it's all different. How have you helped folks who are experiencing some of those challenges? Yeah, I think about 70% of my patients are immigrants, and they come from all different um, places on earth, and many of them are uh, undocumented immigrants, or in the case of the person that Ellie followed, is a, um, she's here on a visa. Okay. Um, I also have quite a few refugees in my practice, and it's really about trying to coordinate care, um, get people involved in programs and in touch with resources that could potentially benefit them and their families. Um, But also just to, for me anyway, to midwife an entire family um, and not just through a labor and a birth or a pregnancy, but also um, help birth this family into America, um, which means really getting, getting the right people in the room together to help them navigate. You know, Acel is often alone caring for her child because her husband's actually working nights as a, a rideshare driver. And uh, a couple uh, couple of times, they only get one to two hours together a day, according to your story, Ellie. How does Acel cope with loneliness? It's really, really hard. And That's I tough. know you mentioned we have the mom, we have the mom's self-document and you can Acel was doing these 3 a.m. recordings of her experience, and you can hear in the quiet that sense of loneliness. And I think that it's a lonely time for a lot of new moms, and that's kind of unexpected because you, you're you actually adding a human to your household, but somehow you feel lonelier. Yeah. And I really, I really felt that in Acel's experience. Wow, that's got to just mess with your 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 mind for sure. I mean, let's let's hear from her. Um, as we mentioned, the mothers who are featured in this uh, first twelve week series, they all kept audio diaries. Before we continue, let's listen to uh, Acel's. My brain is not working well. I just wish to sleep more and more, and I feel like I'm lacking of the sleep. It's hard. 
but everything's good. This is life. Do you relate to that at all, Ellie? Again, you're a new mom yourself. Yeah, you know, when I listen to Asel's recordings, I feel like my heart contracts. Mm. (laughs) It just really, it, it hits my marrow I'm mixing you felt metaphors. periods of loneliness yeah I, I think it's just a time where you've I, for me I felt um a little bit out of body I felt I I never liked my dog but I was so happy to have my dog around because <laughs> she was familiar yes. <laughs> in a world that felt really unfamiliar suddenly yeah. and, but, and you know and it's important to note even moms who have social support they can also feel isolated right Annie yeah for sure and I think that um just having so many new things and having to make so many decisions, even if you have people around you who you consider to be good support or yeah. who are asking after you, there's so much responsibility in that moment. Um, and you have you're caring for somebody who can't tell you anything oh, <laughs> except yeah. with their with their cries. <laughs> um, you know they can't talk to you. So I do I do feel like um, even if you do have a lot of support in the the best of circumstances, mm-hmm. um, it, it's there are challenges that none of us could anticipate. Um, and are kind of unique to each person. Yeah, I had a lot of support in the early days as well. And, and in my case, I mean, I was pregnant very soon after. My my kids are back to back and still felt quite lonely, right? So I, I definitely can relate there. Um, but what are the biggest barriers, Annie, um, thinking of the folks that you care for, um, immigrants and non-citizens, you know, when it comes to natal and maternal care, what are they up against? Well, I kind of liken it to the fact that I don't speak Vietnamese, but if you ask me to go to Vietnam and buy a car on my first day there, that's kind of what it's like to enter the U.S. healthcare system. Um, I don't speak the language. I don't know very much about cars. I'm asking, being asked to do all of these sort of transactions that I don't understand. There's like licensing and government involved, and I, I just am lost. Um, so I think one of those early on challenges is just getting connected with someone. Um, it's one of the things I really love about Erie Family Health Centers where I work is that we are considered a, definitely a place of refuge for immigrants, um, regardless of your status. And that um, when you arrive in our, you know, through our doors, we are designed to help you and meet you where you are, mm-hmm. get you connected with healthcare. Um, and for pregnant women, there's an urgency about that because we have a small amount of time to make a really big difference in your life, in your baby's life. Um, and so I f- feel like for new immigrants, um, that's one of the first things that is um, sort of meets them is that they have to get involved in a system that does not make any sense to even those of us who speak the language yeah. and understand the laws. And Well, here's where matters get worse, Ellie. Didn't Acel get some really bad advice when it comes to Medicaid? I think it was bad advice, yeah. What what happened there? So she was told, Acel actually does qualify for Medicaid, and um, Medicaid covers, I believe, half the births in this country. And for many women who are new parents who are covered by Medicaid, the cost is close to $0, but Acel was told that enrolling in a public benefit could jeopardize a future green card application. And I know that can be a fear among new immigrants, especially after the Trump administration kind of doubled down on public charge laws. And so she elected to buy health care on the marketplace. And now she's looking at a bill of close to $7,000 for the birth of her daughter. 
Oh, my goodness. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Our guests are Annie Conquest, who's a certified nurse midwife with Erie Family Health Centers, and Ellie Fishman, who's a reporter and mother uh, behind WBEZ's new First 12 Weeks series. Now, let's bring another voice into the conversation. Dr. Liz Glasgow is the executive director of Innovations to Improve Maternal Outcomes in Illinois and medical doctor of the UI Health Two Generation Clinic. Welcome to Reset, Dr. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. So before we continue our conversation, I I did want to include this message that we got from a listener this week named Helen. Uh, She had her first child eight years ago, and she mentioned having postpartum depression and anxiety and also uh, trouble with uh, breastfeeding. All of things that she actually was not expecting uh, before giving birth. Here's what she writes in part. I had no idea how to ask for help or how to find help, but I learned the hard way. I want a world where no parent has to learn the hard way ever again. I think we need major structural changes to make it easier for parents to ease into their new role. When I read about the systems some other countries have in place to support new parents, I get so angry that we don't have that here. The fact that we don't have universal maternity leave in this country is inhumane. And she writes some more, but I'll leave it there. Thank you, Helen, first of all, for sharing your story and your thoughts. But Dr. Glasgow, listening to that, what goes through your mind? Is our system here broken? Well, it was very well said. I think our system is broken. I do believe, though, that at the national level, we really are seeing the recognition that our system needs to improve. We need to really change the way we deliver health care to postpartum persons. And foremost, our systems are so segregated, both in the way we pay for them and just in general, where you go different places, how it's paid for, different ways. We need to begin to integrate that more. So at the national level, uh, the Biden administration recently released a report, a maternal health report, that really calls for the integration of care overall Mm -hmm. so that systems work together. So several years ago, the University of Illinois at Chicago received the iPromote grant that was mentioned. And one of the ways that we're using our funding was to develop a two-generation clinic. And we're trying to fix that uh, the splintering of different care so that we can, in one place, one location, help families really receive both the social services they need, the behavioral health services, and the medical services. Mm. You know, all of this is so foreign to me. I, I was raised in Canada, ended up giving birth to my children in Canada. So you're all smiling at me because you know what I'm about to say is I got a year off with (laughs) each child. And so moving to the U.S., you know, eight years ago and seeing that it's just normal here for my colleagues to be back at work in like eight, 12 weeks after giving birth is mind blowing. (laughs) I, I, I can't wrap my head around it. Because I know how much I needed that 12 months with each baby and, and all that it allowed me to do. I, I wonder what it's going to take to get somewhat closer to a similar system here in the U.S. Exactly. I think there's a lot of structural things that need to change. Yeah. And we do have a maternal health task force where we're trying to address some of that. Um, At the medical level, I think these promising new models, such as a two-generation clinic, uh, which I'll explain a bit about that clinic, is we developed a two-generation clinic, meaning that we see 
moms and their babies at the same time with the same health providers, and we provide wraparound care. And what that does is it supports the entire family's needs. So we have real-time psychiatry along with our physicians. We have real-time social work. We have real-time identification of social determinants of health needs. And then we help connect people to resources. And we're really in it for the longer-term care of families. So not just beyond the 12 weeks postpartum, but really as we engage moms in the, their health of themselves, their babies, their families. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts, Annie? How, I mean, how do we make the system more equitable? And who would be responsible for making those changes? I think some individual states have made some movement in that direction. I know that I'm originally from Massachusetts, and okay. Massachusetts has paid parental leave now, um, and it's um, it's funded on the state level, um, and I think that that is not the perfect solution, but I think it's moving towards there. Right. Um, the other thing I want you to consider or our listeners to consider is that there are some folks who go back to work at four weeks postpartum and work, you know, for example, I'm clutching at Mc- my yeah. imaginary pearls. Yeah, they work at McDonald's. And so they're working yeah. in the kitchen, standing on their feet all day and having a conversation about that with that person about breastfeeding or their their ability to express milk where they're, while they're away from their baby is completely different than talking to somebody who may return to a place where there's an office or yeah. that with an office door that they can shut or they have privacy. Um, so I, I do think that the national movement is going to be important because I'm not sure that every state will necessarily um, want to move in the same direction. Yeah. Um, and, I, and so I, that's how I envision it on a, on a federal level. Um, that we can all move together and really use our collective uh, desire for um, postpartum and parenting people to have the time and uh, devote the time to devote to their families. For sure. And, and by no means am I saying the Canadian system is perfect, but I'm just saying that time was so valuable. I, I would never, I wouldn't trade it for the world, right? How did you navigate healthcare systems here, Ellie? Well, I... I'm lucky in that I work for myself and can make my own schedule and sort of decided when I was ready to go back to work. And that was such a gift. Yeah. My husband has health insurance and that allowed me to really take my time and feel like I was, I I didn't have to necessarily worry about care. I will say one thing that came up in Asel's story and actually was something that I did deal with was cost and on average, a birth in the United States with good insurance costs three thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Without insurance, it's closer to twenty thousand dollars. So one of the things that could happen in this country is that we could take down that cost. I believe it's the number one reason why people are going into hospitals in general across the country. I don't know. I'm with two experts, so I'm looking at them Chime for in, confirma- confirmation. <laughs> But why does that co- have to cost $3,000? Yeah. That's more than most people pay for housing every month. It's three months worth of food for many American families. It's a huge cost for what is often a pretty routine hospital visit. Hmm. Is that valid, that concern, uh, Dr. Glasgow? Absolutely. And then the cost of parenting in general, all of the supplies, the lost work time, it's extremely expensive. And many of our families who do give birth, they already were having financial difficulties. And then to add that on top of it is not only 
difficult for them financially, but it creates a huge amount of stress, Mm -hmm. huge amount. Annie, what resources are out there for for immigrants or non-citizens who are coming here to the Chicago area? Yeah, so Medicaid, which we've talked about, is a big benefit for folks who are um, immigrants who are low income. Um, And Medicaid, thankfully, in in Illinois is available to um, all pregnant people. Um, if they qualify in terms of income, regardless of their their immigrant status or regardless of the fact that they're documented or not, mm-hmm. um, and I and I there are services like WIC, which is federally funded but also administered at the state level, that all low income people can qualify for. That would allow them to have extra or to have them to have allow them to have food for themselves and for their babies. Um, there are a lot of um, case management programs available through Medicaid, which connect um, patients and their families with needed things like child supplies for their baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would really hope that um, our community organizations um, would be a source of um, uh, of help for new parents. Um, yeah, I'm glad you're touching on that because the the mother we feature in this series, Annie um, Assel, she was ultimately able to find a network of families from Kyrgyzstan, right? Uh, so how can new parents listening to us right now, how can they find more support in their community? Yeah. Um, so Especially if they don't have friends or family near them. Yeah, and so many d- don't have friends or family. They've come here for extenuating circumstances, oftentimes not leaving home of their own volition because potentially of like a genocide in their home country. It's not as though they really were like, hmm, I'd love to leave my home that I've loved and known my whole life and go to a strange country where I don't know anybody. Um, so there are certainly cultural organizations. For example, I'm thinking on the north side of the Rohingya Cultural Center, mm. um, which is a gathering place for Rohingya um, immigrants. Um, and they have access to resources within Chicago and also within their own community, but also can create networks of um, families where they can um, have uh culturally competent conversations about parenting, yes. uh, also get um, resources and supplies for their babies and their other children. Um, Chicago Public Schools for um, a lot of my patients is a place where they can meet other folks who are um, from from their home country um, who also have children who um, they can find, um, you know, have, have access to other resources or knowledgeable about other resources. And then, of course, I would like to put in a plug for the health centers. Um, we also do a lot of wraparound care. We have behavioral health services and WIC. Um, we have breastfeeding services, all of those which are you know super important. And we hope to provide culturally competent care, linguistically competent care for those, for our patients who we love. Annie Conquest is a certified nurse midwife at Erie Family Health Centers. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. We're back now with more Reset. I'm your host, Sasha Ann Simons. We're continuing our conversation around a new WBEZ series called The First 12 Weeks. It shares the stories of new mothers in Chicago, and it sheds light on the number of challenges that they face after bringing home their babies. We're still here with Ellie Fishman, who's author of Refugee High, Coming of Age in America, and she's the reporter behind WBEZ's new series. And Dr. Liz Glasgow, Executive Director of Innovations to Improve Maternal Outcomes in Illinois and Medical Director of the UI Health Two-Generation Clinic. So, Ellie, on to the final mother in the first 12 weeks series, Katie, and uh, her partner, Savannah, who goes by Sav. Uh, How does their pregnancy journey begin? Katie and Savannah, who you said goes by Sav, are a queer couple, and their journey starts Back in 2019, when they started planning to have their 
daughter, Parker, and they went through several rounds of IVF and IUIs. And Katie told me that they spent upwards of $10,000 just on fertility treatments alone. Wow. And that's not cheap. It's not cheap. And that's with good insurance. So what are some of their biggest challenges then, aside from cost? Well, right. So there's cost, and then there's also parentage issues. So they actually both went through IVF, so they could each have a biological child. Carrie, uh, Katie carried Sav's egg, okay, an embryo from one of Sav's eggs and a sperm donor. And in the future, Sav is hoping to carry a baby from one of Katie's eggs. And they want more children. And they want, yeah. And because of that, even though Sav is the biological parent of Parker, they do not have parental rights, which is crazy. What? So they had to hire a lawyer to secure those for Sav, which they did. Actually, they found out right around 12 weeks postpartum that Sav now has equal parental rights to their daughter, Parker. Doctor, good time to bring you back in here. Talk about the the, the other hoops that LGBTQ plus uh, parents go through just trying to conceive. Well, clearly that's that's a, an amazing story. I mean, this was a lot. Yes. yes. Yeah. That's a huge, well, the financial, the legal, the medical, and then in planning for their future babies. Yes, that's that's a lot. It's a good thing they're planners, which they are. <laughs> <laughs> but... But what I what I will point out is that for many families, that's not an option. They don't have necessarily the financial or legal resources right. to have the type of family that they want and the children that they want. So that's the biggest challenge that I would see. Katie had to take 12 weeks of unpaid leave, right? Which yeah, is that's right. Absolutely ridiculous. But is it common? I think it's very common, and that's because she was at her job for under a year, so you have to be at your same job for a year here in the United States to even qualify, I believe, for paid time off. There is FMLA, so that guarantees you or should guarantee you 12 unpaid weeks, but of course, talking about finances, that's not necessarily feasible Mm. for every family. But one of the arcs of Katie's experience that I picked up on kind of early in the reporting was that back-to-work anxiety. She was the only one of the three moms who was going back to work after three months, and she was also struggling to breastfeed. Her daughter was never a good eater, and those two things were kind of intimately intertwined because that's something you really want to figure out before you go back to work. Yeah. And so as the weeks went on, her anxiety kind of rose steadily. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah, and actually, I want to dig into the the breastfeeding issue separately in just a moment. But let's let's just focus on the fact that she took this unpaid leave, right, to to, to care for the baby. What goes through your mind, Doctor Glasgow? And and is there any recommended amount of time that parents should not be working postpartum? Well, I think clearly that's an individual decision but as we've talked about today this whole time what keeps coming back is the desire to maybe stay home longer mm-hmm. but not being able to financially or having a position where you 
are, have to come back after the three months. So I don't. I think every every family needs to make that decision on their own. Um, what's recommended, but for the most part, moms want to stay home and they want to stay home beyond the three months. Now, that's not every mom because some moms really miss out and feel like they want to be back in the workforce Mm -hmm. and um, that's best for them. But in general, we just don't have the systems in place to have moms have that opportunity to make that decision. Yeah. Let's talk a bit more about uh, what postpartum care does look like for parents. Because well, I know for babies, there are these touch points, right? You you go back at two months or four months and six months, et cetera. All I can remember from my experience was that six weeks and then, you know, a year later, it was time for a, a pap smear. Exactly. Is there anything else? <laughs> well, that's, that's so common. That's the way it used to be. Yeah. It was a one touch and done. But now we know a lot better about how to care for postpartum women. And it's recommended that it's a series. It's not a certain touch point. It's an ongoing process. You know, at least the few first few weeks after you deliver a baby, and then again at 12 weeks. But really, for many moms who have existing mental health conditions or chronic conditions, they need a lot more touch points because those conditions could have been exacerbated by pregnancy. They could have emerged during pregnancy. And those are all things that need to be addressed. And we also want to make sure that women are transitioning into primary care. So going from seeing an OB regularly to seeing someone, you know, in the primary care setting as well uh, to manage their chronic conditions. Whereas with babies, we know that um, it's recommended they be seen seven times for seven well baby visits after delivery. So um, those really medical visits could coincide and do coincide together. One thing I'll mention as well is that for many moms in the U.S., they don't get the recommended care, not even the 12-week visit. And this is particularly the case for moms who are low income and struggling financially. They don't get the recommended care, which in turn is what you know contributes to chronic disease. And can severe, it be dangerous? Yeah. It's very yeah. dangerous. It can contribute to severe maternal morbidity. Um, and unfortunately, in some cases, mortality. And so one of the things that I think we recognize more and more is the importance that postpartum period is not just the first 12 weeks. It's the first 12 months after you deliver a baby. Right. Absolutely. That should be the name of your next series. Yes. Ellie. Uh, let's go back to this this problem we talked about uh, that, that Katie, poor Katie and I share this. We, I had the same issue with my, my second daughter, breastfeeding. What was... Uh, Katie's issue with Parker specifically? So Parker, well, looking back, you know, when Katie looked back on the early days of postpartum, she realized that Parker was never really a good eater. And, but of course, if you're a first time mom, you don't necessarily know what breastfeeding is supposed to look like, what anything supposed to look like, frankly. Mm-hmm. It's so much trial by fire. And Oh, you know, Parker, she had trouble latching. She would get really fussy. And I think for Katie, it just made her feel like she was failing all the time. And 
you have this crying baby who can't tell you what's wrong and it, it's this constant guessing game and you're tired mm-hmm. and you're healing and you're trying to learn what it is to be a mother and it it's it's so, 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 so hard. It is so hard. So what recommendations do you have, doctor, for, for moms experiencing that challenge right now? Well, lactation consultation by far and is the most helpful to really have a support system where someone who's trained in lactation can come in and help a mom figure out what's going on and maybe try some different things in latching. And Yeah, um, I tried that, but I don't think I... I think I could have tried it for longer. I just, I sort of gave up and I just it's, went straight to formula. It's hard to keep going. Yeah, it, it was, it was discouraging. Yeah. Many moms do, I think, end up giving up or end up supplementing with formula when their intention really wasn't to do so in the first place. But we really need these systems um, in the healthcare that do provide that ongoing support to moms. I think the other recommendation I would have for moms is to be gentle with themselves. This is normal. This is what it's like. There's so many things about parenting a new infant that uh, you want to do well, and all moms want to, you know, do everything just right, and that's not really the reality. We need to be gracious with ourselves. There's no perfect way to do this. Exactly. There's many good ways to be a parent. Looking back on all the work that you've done, Ellie, uh, for this first 12 weeks project, what are your biggest takeaways? Well, I love what you just said. There's no one right way to be a mom. I think that's a really important message. Give yourself grace. Be kind to yourself. And also one of the things that I found so powerful in those first 12 weeks and I think was actually the seed of this project was just hearing from other people mm-hmm. checking in saying, how are you doing? And it was this light bulb moment for me, like, oh my gosh, you've been through this. And you that was, alone. and I didn't, yeah, I felt a little bit less alone. So I hope that this project can do that for other moms and other parents out there. We'll leave it there. Ellie Fishman's the writer behind WBEZ's first 12-week series and the author of Refugee High, Coming of Age in America. Dr. Liz Glasgow is the executive director of Innovations to Improve Maternal Outcomes in Illinois and medical director of the UI Health Two-Generation Clinic. You can read more of the first 12-week series on WBEZ's website. That's wbez.org. Thank you, ladies. Thank, Thank you. you.